All right, and welcome to Kill the Bottle Podcast. My name is Eddie Zamora, a.k.a. The Yum Yum Foodie. And uh, to my right, getting licked by her bitch is Megan Elizabeth. That was explicit. It was, but it's the truth. because We don't speak that way. (laughs) Don't lie. This is uh, the first time people have been hearing this. Hopefully it's not the first time people have been hearing this. Uh, But hi, Megan. How are you doing? I'm good. Really? That (laughs) That sounds so positive. Really good. Yeah. Things could be better, but things will get better. You're, I'm going to move in a couple weeks. Okay. Out of like your porn neighborhood of Out Van of hell. I like to call it hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell. It's Moving like, yeah. right out. It's hell like sprinkled with, I don't know. Yeah. I'm down a bike, you know, because that got stolen from my apartment. When did your bike get stolen? Uh, a couple months ago. Out of oh, the, out of the locked ago. garage. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's stolen, time for you to go. stolen laundry. From the homeless man that was sleeping in the laundry room. Well, at least he'll be well-dressed. Yes, with you women's clothes. You know what? That's clothes. a positive thing. Mm-hmm. And a pillowcase. I hope he enjoys that soft fucking pillowcase. Whatever. You know what? Maybe he has sneakers that he has to wash in the machine, and you put your sneakers in the pillowcase, so I've been told. And that's how you wash sneakers in the machine. So maybe he that's what he's doing sneakers. with your- Cockroaches, termites, one more week. Um, so <laughs> a, a, in case you're wondering, Megan does live in the United States of America. She does not live in Guatemala. Uh, she does not live in Cuba. She lives here- and just west of where I used to live, and uh, yeah, she lives in Van Nuys, California. So we're looking forward to uh, Ve- Megan getting getting the chance to. Scoot I'm gonna out get of a here. kitchen, huh? And a kitchen, yeah. Because I don't have a kitchen. We don't, yeah. I she... don't have a fridge. I yeah. don't have a it's... stove. I have a barely working microwave. Yeah, but you're able to feed your dog, and you're able to barely microwave things, which is <laughs> important. Uh, so the show is called Kill the Bottle, and I'm super stoked about the bottle that Megan and I are killing right now. We are drinking a bottle of a little something called Sincoro Tequila. Sincoro, uh, cinco, and oro, standing for uh, cinco means the number five in Spanish, oro meaning gold. And it is from uh, five MBA owners. And what I love about this tequila is that it has like a, I don't know, it sounds cheesy, but it's a champion pedigree. But it's not like just some really wealthy people stamp their name on a tequila. They they actually are extremely passionate about tequila and uh, took the time to design this and, and get it made exactly the one. The bottle is freaking gorgeous. So hopefully you'll get a chance to see that uh, on the on the Instagram account. The one that we're drinking is the Añejo. And uh, this Añejo from Sincoro is about 130 bucks a bottle. And this is a sipping tequila. It is, I mean, if you can afford it, knock yourself out, make margaritas with it. I would highly suggest not to do that because it is it is viscous. Like, you know, you could pour this. Uh, our, our guest, who will be on in just a few minutes, maybe could pour this on some focaccia or something. But this is like some some special tequila. And it's aged for more than 24 months. So more than two years in barrel, giving it that smooth finish. And I shit you not, this is so freaking good. And anyway, I'm, I'm having, a, like I'm holding the bottle right now. Uh, like Megan is holding Are her you dog. Right? I'm okay. Here, Megan, I'll share it with you. <laughs> yeah, I it's feel fine. Like you're a little. So that's what we're sipping on today. <laughs> you okay. What you know? I'm. I've. I've become a fan of Slide tequila. Slide the tequila over here. You, you've had enough. Dude, okay. <laughs> you're cut off. Chances are we've had some shitty experiences in our life with tequila. Most people have. And I had the worst like uh, uh, college experience with tequila, where it ruined me. And I went to Cancun, and I woke up not knowing where I was, with the worst headache ever. And I, then I didn't drink tequila for like ten more years. Rediscovered it, and now it's kind of become my favorite thing to sip on. Any shit tequila stories for you? Oh, Jesus, every day. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> every day. I drink tequila almost every day. And I drink well because I like to go to places and I ask for their well because I have a competition. First of all, I like the pain. 
Second that sounds of all, about right. Yeah. Just check her OnlyFans. I if, like the uh, pain. If you want to find out how much Megan <laughs> likes the pain. Second of all, I like to see. I like to find the worst tequila I've like ever, and I know where it is. You're a fucking masochist. It's near here. It's in Newport Beach. There's like that's not near here. It's on Balboa Island. There's like one bar on Balboa Island. It's nearer than like from Colorado. Okay, from like we're in Glendale. You know how far but it is I'm to saying get to like it's not in like Cuba it might be or faster somewhere. Faster to fly to Colorado than to drive to Newport Beach. It is a rough right now. drive, but it might be. There's one restaurant in Balboa Island that plays dance music, but you're not allowed to dance. It's like footloose, like real life. But they have they have the worst tequila I have ever had in my life. And that's a what lot of made it so bad. Like you're, you can't even like you can't even stomach it. Like you put it in near your mouth, and it makes you cry just holding it near your mouth. So one thing I learned about tequila uh, recently is if you see a bottle of tequila like this one, obviously it says 100% agave. Because what happens is, um, you know, like anything, 100% of the product is going to be more expensive than less than 100% of the product. And if a bottle doesn't say, not only Sincoro, any tequila, if it doesn't say 100% agave, it's considered a mixto uh, tequila. And what will happen is they will mix in some kind of molasses. Or rubbing alcohol, I like for to your, call it. For your consideration, mm-hmm. yeah. That will give you the illusion that you're drinking something a little bit sweeter, but that mixture is what gives you that shit headache the next day from tequila. When you drink the 100% agave stuff, mm-hmm. you're you're going to feel a little bit more refreshed. I mean, maybe not if you do a 750 ml bottle of it because, mm-hmm. you know, come on. We're not superhumans. I am. Uh, you when are. When it comes to tequila. Yeah, you're like Betty Ford. I can do yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, And the clinic. And the clinic. No, <laughs> I'm all that, of it. Well, you're Betty Ford and we call you the clinic. Okay. That's the, uh, uh, that's the, that's the, the I, vibe. I that can w- fix your problems. <laughs> you- Here's some tequila. What? Was that what accent was that? Was that like Russian spot? Like yes, yes. You're like yellow. I will fix your problem we'll of fix, tequila. I fix your problems. You tell me problem, I fix it. They usually drink vodka. Shit, not tequila. Um, <laughs> speaking. <Hola. laughs> speaking of uh, vodka, our guest on today's show. I know it's a weird segue, but. I had him over for dinner uh, for Cuban food, and he brought me a yummy bottle of vodka to my house, and it had the best name ever because it, it's like the most L.A. name for any product. It was called Vapid, which is just like the funniest thing ever to me. When I saw a bottle that said Vapid Vodka, I'm like, you just described 90% of human beings that you will interact with in uh, Southern California. Okay. So <laughs> thank you for that. But uh, th- I want to welcome to Kill the Bottle podcast uh, a, a person I consider a friend, and you're going to know him from Top Chef Season 15, Top Chef Season 17 All-Stars. You're also going to recognize him from Chopped and the most brilliant mustache in the history of of, of food and food personalities, uh, Chef Joe Sasto. <laughs> What's going on, Eddie? How are you? <laughs> I am. I am so good now. I I want people. First of all, thank you for being on here. And if if people get one thing out of this, I want them to acknowledge the level of commitment that Joe has to that sexy mustache because it is like it is Magnum PI meets uh meets an Italian chef. It's special. I don't know if it, I I appreciate the the level of stardom that you just gave the mustache on that introduction. I don't know. There are probably better mustaches out there in the history of mustaches, but this has definitely taken over. It is a life commitment, a brand commitment at this point. There are people, I mean, Bella included, that only know me with a mustache and never before without it. There's like 
BM before mustache and AM after mustache. And yeah. most people in my life right now only know AM just after. Could you ever do Movember then? Could you ever be committed to like the shave down and grow the mustache for like a good for, for you know testicular cancer or whatever? Could you do that? Right, I, right. I I don't know. I because I feel like if I were growing it out, then I would just fall into the category of everyone else that just happens to have it for that month. And plus, at this point, it's it's in a weird phase where I don't really know how quickly it grows. Because I've seen people with the mustaches that go like way far out to like the ends of their head and like extend past their face. Mine just stays this length no matter what. Wow. So it's like I don't trim it down to stay this short. Oh my God. It's like, I just don't know if hairs are like. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's permanently this length. It doesn't continue to get bigger. And so I don't know if I got rid of it. What would have like what the process for getting it back would be? So oh I'm just don't I'm committed. It. No, don't do it. well, imagine the tan line that's under that mustache. Because I mean, at the end of the day, it's like a white stash now. That's that's under there. He was I just mean, in these, Miami, these and days saw- there there are no tan lines. <laughs> I am not outside very often, so <laughs> we could assume. There are no tan lines anyway. Uh, speaking of outside, Joe was in my hometown over the weekend. And following along uh, Joe's social media story, and please, I encourage you, jump on social media, uh, on Instagram, on TikTok, and check out uh, chef.joe.sasto on social media. And first of all, not only is he thoroughly entertaining and like lovely, honest person when it comes to food, um, but his, like, if you, like Megan and I, before the show started, she was looking at your Instagram and she's like, fuck, I got to get pasta now. Like, I don't even know what to do. So fo- follow Joe. But Joe was in my hometown over the weekend for South Beach Wine and Food Festival. And I was trying to explain to Joe the, the last time we spoke, the level of like debauchery that is South Beach Wine and Food Festival, let alone when you're a chef and invited down there. And let me tell you, Joe, you look so refreshed compared to what I imagine most of the other chefs who were at Sobe Wine and Food Festival look like today. I'm just throwing it out there. And you know what that is? Because I don't drink as much as I used to. I'm way more of a weed smoker than I am of an alcohol drinker. And so the, I like the first couple of days were rough. Like it was that excitement of getting down there, seeing people you hadn't seen in a long time. It was like the f- first post COVID event where like everyone was vaccinated and we were able to like, Hey, I haven't seen you in like a year and a half. How are you doing? And so like, there were definitely some tequilas drunk drank, and <laughs> you know, t- good times were had, but I'm very much, you know, in moderation kind of person. So, you know, there was a little bit of chlorophyll, some green beverages and juices in the morning. It was not a 24-7 rally straight through like I saw some people do because it is Miami. Like, I had no idea. You tried to warn me. I tried to tell you. But this place is it's somewhere else. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the weather. Like, the weather was phenomenal when we were down there. And I know that's not always the case. Right. Like, I know it gets very hot and I know it gets very humid, but this was like, just the right level of heat, just the right level of humidity. Like you could ask anyone that knows me. I'm like Goldilocks when it comes to the weather, like (laughs) too hot, too cold like that. Like California is perfect for me because we don't really have the typical seasons. I've never lived anywhere where it snowed. So like I am very happy and content in California. And this was the perfect time for me to be in Miami and experience South Beach, and boy, was it an experience. But that you you experienced it the right way. 
You really did. Like I did. Yeah, I've been once before, and you know, I was down there maybe two years ago. Um, it was more of a business trip, and it was more to kind of like see the city, see some of the smaller towns like Coral Gables and um, <laughs> kind of that surrounding area. And so this was totally different than that trip. The other trip was business and relaxed, and this one was business, working. Uh, cooking, seeing, socializing, networking, all of those things um, to the 10th degree. It was a very good time. We enjoyed ourselves. It, it's, you know, and, and uh, I've, I've known Joe for a few years now. And one thing that I've loved following from Joe's experience is, is his, I don't know, it's not even like a weight loss journey per se, but, you know, you're somebody that cooks pasta And I know you're known for more than pasta, but when people think of Joe Sasso, they think of pasta. You have these really cool, you know, pasta cutting tools that are branded that that you that you work with with that uh, uh, that forge. And the name's eluding me right now. And I'll ask you in a second. Dog Doghouse Forge. Doghouse Forge. They're really cool um, tools that Joe you know Joe's part of, and they sell out right away, which is kind of cool. So if you ever wanted some cool uh, pasta tools uh, that Joe has something to do with, please check out that that Doghouse Forge. And I guess when they drop, they'll know. And and they can you'll know you follow, follow either one of us on Instagram and or sign up for like one of our newsletters both of our newsletters if you go to our websites and we always let the people on our newsletters know a week leading up to the date we try to do it once a month um, lately like when it's been freaking awesome like don't get me wrong I love everyone's support it's blown my mind how many units we've sold they're all over the world from Argentina to Germany to Brazil like crazy places these pasta tools are going. Um, and you know, it all came from this idea that I met a blacksmith at a dinner in Florida, in Tampa of all places, man, talk about this episode is like dedicated to Florida today, huh? <laughs> that's and so I met Jonathan at a dinner. I was cooking down there and, uh, him and I hit it off, started talking. He had made me a knife as like a, a friendly gift for what being the guest chef because he knew the restaurant owner and a friend of mine, Farrell. And so he had been a farrier before he was a knife maker. And so a farrier for everyone out there, because I didn't know what that word was, is a uh, person who makes black, uh, makes horseshoes for horses and puts the horseshoes on. Right on. Um, and so cool. I thought that was super interesting. I didn't know that. He started being a farrier. He got kind of bored with that, wanted to do more things. He started making knives. He did that show Forged in Fire, which I think we've all maybe seen at least once on the History Channel, mm-hmm. where they're like, does it kill? Yes. And like all those sort of <laughs> things. Um, he won that show. And so his knife making business took off. He started making knives. Him and I started talking. Uh, he wanted a, a new project that would challenge him. And, and, you know, we had, I had this idea for a pasta tool with interchangeable heads because you have these really awesome handmade different types of special wood handles. And right now all the handles are generic that you could find in Italy and you need to buy all the different tools with lots of different cutters. Where now we've made a way and he's developed a way through R&D where you're able to easily clip on and off, screw on and off the top from the bottom. So you have large pizza cutters, small pasta rollers. Um, We have a variety of different rolling tools all in development. And now we've hit a road bump, believe it or not. What? Uh, Because we've, we've wanted to, and the goal had always been to do the fluted cutters that give you that like classic, what you'd see on an annuity, that like fluted design. The, almost like little mini triangles. And so we've been trying to make those ourselves here in the U.S. And it's a very specialized cut on a special type of machine. Not a lot of people have those machine shops here in the U.S. 
on top of that, we found a few that did, but here's the kicker. Our guy, Elon Musk, has contracted out all of these machine shops for like the next five years making rocket ship parts. Well, you know, so if you want them to stop, if you want them to stop making rocket ship parts, you have to pay the same rate that he's yeah. paying for all of his parts. And nobody will stop then because he's paying a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. And so there's no way. And now, now I've reached out to people in Italy. I'm trying to get them made in Italy and we'll import them. And so it's just been like any business venture it has its ups and downs <laughs> and highs different. and lows. And so it, I always thought that was very interesting though, that, you know, now you have a hard time when, whether you knew it or not, that the machine world here in the U S is not, very big and elon has uh his foot in the door with just about all of them well maybe you should sit down with elon yeah. cook him and cook him some food mm-hmm. yeah you know maybe if we connect on twitter i hear he connects with people on twitter i'm not a big tweeter i don't tweet a lot if ever but if that could be my introduction into the tweet twitterverse is with Elon, I would do that i think your your best bet to to get on with elon in the twitterverse is just be a karen and complain about something about Tesla, even if you don't have one, and bitch at him, and then he will eventually just, you know, uh, just he'll he'll, he'll he may that. come back and like provide a solution. I don't think that's great advice. You don't think that's great advice? Look, no. listen to me. You can always be a Karen on Twitter. I get so many of them coming at me constantly, no matter what I do on Twitter. You know, it's funny. I think it's because Joe, Joe, you were a uh, uh, a chef at Lazy Bear in SF. And did you ever have any experience front of the house or was it always back of the house for you? Lazy Bear is a very fluid restaurant in that sense that a lot of the chefs and cooks are both front and back of the house. I think that's what makes part of that experience so unique is that you have the cooks and you have the chefs bringing you most of your courses, kind of taking a moment, talking to you about it, explaining the idea behind the dish and where the ingredients come from and you begin very good at interacting with people about the little touches on the table, whether taking care of beverages or expecting what people may need. It's a lot more than just running food. And so I got a lot of front and back of house experience while there. Now, speak, since you had some front of the house experience, have you, do you have a Karen experience? Because I, I love asking chefs like what – because everybody remembers that – I you know, I say Karen experience. Sorry, Karen, if you're offended. But that you know that person that is just bitching about something that has really nothing to do with you and it could be that just they didn't know that this – you know they didn't know that pizza has bread in it and they're bitching at you about the bread. Have, have, you, have you had uh, – uh, anywhere, what, do you have a worse Karen experience that you always use as like your benchmark for, for Karen experiences of you at a restaurant? You know, it's funny you ask me about that because I've been out of, I, I spent almost, I spent over 10 years in restaurants dealing with exactly that. And lately, my point of reference and what I think of when I think of those people that are misunderstood and engaging, I, I hate to say Karen, <laughs> because nice. like you said, oh, they're just, That's a nice you know, they're, yeah, they're something. If they're not listening to this um, show. Is I think, I, I actually think about the Instagram comments that I get. So I'm very active on social media. I'm very active on Instagram. I spend a lot of time on there. And it's those people that interact and are very opinionated. Let's call them very opinionated Absolutely. individuals. Yeah. That they're the ones that like stand out the most is just like, I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't even. <laughs> no, you can't. And, and I mean, yeah. And for me, one of the most frustrating things about it is when I do something 
different. Like I, I guess a great latest example is like I made pesto, but I used mint instead of basil. Great. And I kill, I called it pesto. And let me tell you oh, no. the people that freaked out about that. Oh, absolutely. What do you call and it? My favorite, my, well, my favorite comments were people that would say, oh, an Italian, that's not how an Italian makes pesto. <laughs> and let's break that statement down, first of all, because guess what? My family's from Italy. Oh, yeah. I am Italian. And by definition, then that statement is now false. And absolutely. it holds no weight because here is an Italian making pesto this way. And I never at any point claim to be the ultimate authority on anything or say this is the only way to make pesto. I'm very careful about the words that I choose when I'm on a platform like I have on Instagram. I don't want to spread misinformation. I don't want to educate people in the wrong yeah, way. Especially I know people when look it's to me, life or death like pesto. I mean, yeah. come on. Exactly. Oh there are God. people losing sleep over this. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just thing comments like that that I just I can't I can't even and they are just so opinionated about the matter. Another great example, which is like I use this as an example, just as to more so how how opinionated I guess an Italian can be about subject matter. So this is kind of like a segue into a similar but different yeah. different story. I was teaching. I do a lot of virtual cooking classes, mm -hmm. uh, public, private, weekly, monthly, all the time. I'm on teaching, pasta making, cooking, all sorts of things. Um, and so one of the classes I was getting ready to do was a gnocchi class. Gnocchi roughly translates to dumpling in English because gnocchi is an Italian word, just kind of painting the picture here. And one of my like phrases for marketing was like, oh, uh, gnocchi or dumplings are pasta too. Let's learn to make it. Because I had been only doing like filled pasta, cavatelli, ravioli, things like that. And so I was like, oh, well, gnocchi's pasta too. Let's learn how to make that. And I got a very, very long-winded email oh, no. from a woman ex telling me how dare I use my platform to spread misinformation about pasta because gnocchi is not pasta. Wow. Okay. okay. Good times. Yeah, that's 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 why I had to ask you because I, I know the amount of interaction that you have. And I can already see like people like – coming out of the woodwork and just like oh yeah i've i firsthand eddie just witnessed my explosion at people like this i i do have an only fans account there's no porn on it but i did it just so i can get on and vent about shit that you shouldn't vent about and then charge people to see it um so i oh great yeah so that's brilliant. a creative use yeah brilliant because then if you really regret it you can delete it no one spent the 50 dollars to watch it or they did spend the 50 dollars and you've just made 500 dollars just from venting but the, my hatred for those people i need to work on it like i'm, I'm angry that. at You're these gonna... kind of people you they have nothing but time no, nothing but time no jobs no nothing they have nothing or but time to it, sit it seems pick like apart your life they have no jobs and, and it's no, I no, I wanted to go back to pesto. Don't let yes. me. I want to ask about pesto. Okay. Are you ready? Do you yeah, well, we can go to pesto. Let's go to pesto. Let's go to pesto. I, I was gonna, I was gonna say I didn't. I I engaged with this woman about the gnocchi because I was very intrigued. Oh, keep oh. going. But we we could come back to that. No, oh, yeah. I, I want to hear what you said to the woman with the, the yeah, gnocchi. Well, so I got the long, pesto. I got the long email, and I just the first thing I thought of was like, oh, this is great. I need to, <laughs> I need to respond. I need this. <laughs> 
I need to respond to this right away. And so I, I wrote back a very thoughtful, reserved email, just kind of like, this, like, I want to engage with you. Like, I need to hear more. Why, why is gnocchi not pasta? I believe this my entire life. This is how I've come to know that the world is round and gnocchi <laughs> is pasta. Yeah. And so she's like, it's, fun. you know, I, she, she said, it's not, it's a different thing. It's never, it would never be considered pasta in Italy. I was like, I don't think you could say never because there's definitely restaurants in Italy that would put gnocchi under the pasta section. Mm-hmm. I was like, look, let's do this. I was like, how do you define pasta? For me, pasta is something that is a wheat and a liquid turned into a dough that's formed into a shape and poached in water. Like that is the very loose definition of pasta that kind of covers a lot of things, but I think that's pretty much it. And so she was like, yes, that's a great definition of pasta. And I was like, so that would be then be gnocchi. And she's like, no, 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 that's not that. No. And nothing but gnocchi is like a weed or potato water dumpling poached. Like she's like, no. And I mean, after maybe five or six emails back and forth, we just agreed to disagree with each other respectfully. Look at that. And it was it Aww. was it was just a very interesting insight into one of these very opinionated individuals. Wow. Again, too much time on that individual's hands, but I'm glad you ended it peacefully. Good job. I mean, I had I I definitely gave myself the time to write these thoughtful <laughs> emails back. Like I had too much time on my hands to even engage, but I did because I just had to know. I was like, this is too good to just delete. No, that's epic. No, it's pretty good. You have to respond. Now I know how to get people's attention on emails. I just want to do an Instagram <laughs> post where I say mint pesto just to see what people say to me. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't even want to post. I just want to say mint pesto just to see the aggression. Just say it. Just say and it. yeah, well, I, it'd be interesting for you pesto. because you're you're you normally would you'd post like Cuban recipes or Cuban things. Yeah. So that would be even more so like maybe it's okay because you're not Italian spreading misinformation. Oh, if oh. I put mint chimichurri, people would lose their minds on me so i want oh that's another good one i just posted a recipe for a salsa verde Uh-oh. and Uh-oh. people forget that salsa verde is both how you say salsa verde in in spanish and in italian the words are the same okay and the ingredients are totally different oh. so obviously everyone that knows like the tomatillo jalapeno serrano poblano salsa verde were not I didn't have any of those ingredients in mind. Oh no. And another group of people got very upset with me for oh. that. And I oh. you know, and then I tried to explain. I was like, well, in Italy, there in other cuisines in Italy, we have something called salsa verde that does not have those things. There's capers and parsley, maybe anchovies and olive oil and olives. And they're like, oh well that's fine if Italians have that, but there's probably an Italian word for it. You should use that. Oh my god! <laughs> That's did, did you want to ask him about pesto? Oh, I just wanted to know: does to, to make a pesto are pine nuts required? That's a very controversial answer. Ugh. Some people are allergic for me. To pine nuts. I say, I say nuts are required. Okay. I don't think they have to be pine nuts to make specific kinds of pesto. Like if you're going to say I'm making a pesto genovese. Like then yes, okay. You're being specific. You can't make pesto genovese without pine nuts, Ugh. but you can make a basil pesto with pistachios. 
Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a like, great restaurant here called the Factory Kitchen uh, that makes a like a handkerchief pasta with, I believe, a walnut pesto. It's green, right? Yeah, the pasta right. is green. Like mm-hmm. known for it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's super solid. But yeah, it's a walnut, you know, walnut pesto. Pesto or pine nuts are the one of the only foods. Those and anchovies that I cannot. I can't like what? pesto puts this taste in my mouth oh, that it. make it makes it it completely ruins. Yeah. You're me. allergic, or you just don't like it. No, it gives. It's kind of like how people think cilantro sometimes tastes like soap. Um, the pine nuts for me completely ruin taste for me. So when I go to fancy restaurants and they know me, they're always like, "Leave the pine nuts out." But is there a food for you that you cannot you cannot stand, you cannot eat, you cannot handle? There was for a very long time, and this is like up until recently, like within the past like two, three years, maybe I've developed a taste for it. It's chocolate. I hated it. I couldn't, couldn't eat it. Couldn't have anything. Dark chocolate, all chocolate. Well, it's still, it's still dark chocolate off the table. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, no, I got you. Milk chocolate. Now I will eat. I'll, I'll be attracted to, I'll enjoy it. I'll crave it sometimes. (laughs) And I mean, at the end of the day, how much chocolate is actually in milk chocolate? It's mostly very sugar. Little. Like, yeah, so milk chocolate's like a gateway. Very drug. It's like I give yeah, you a very Cadbury little egg cacao just to like there. get you excited. So, uh, yeah, so that's funny. That's I would have really never interesting food. Yeah. What about you, Eddie? Do you have something that you cannot? Oh, for sure. And it's it, it's uh, I to this date I had not had mole that didn't like torment my life. Oh, really? Yeah, I tend. I didn't to... see that going that way either. Uh, yeah, when I've seen you know, it's like here's no way chocolate really? chicken. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, so at least to this date, Joe, and I know there's so many variations of mole, but all the ones that I've had to this date have fucked me up where, you know, I'm, which is great because I look thin the next day, but it still like has rocked my world. I have not oh, so had. So it just makes you sick. Yeah. Oh, okay. The not like you don't like it. Oh, okay. So it's not necessarily that you don't like the flavor of it. Like chocolate doesn't make me sick. I just don't like it. Yeah. I think it's like, Mole has Oh, every single time. I think I've had it like four times. I, you know, four times I'm like, you know what? Like, New I just challenge. Yeah. We need to make a chocolate mole with pine nuts. <laughs> that we'll both eat? <laughs> we just told, I guarantee that's a thing. Like, if you, if you know Claudette Zepeda, the, the chef, she has uh, she just opened a new restaurant in San Diego. She is the encyclopedia of Mexican cuisine. Uh-huh. And I guarantee she can tell you what region you'll find a pine nut chocolate mole. <laughs> From that's fantastic. And for the for the record, mole doesn't need to have chocolate. I don't think. I I, I think that's a very wrong misconceived notion that yeah. Claudette would be the first to be like, oh, it doesn't need to have chocolate or it shouldn't taste like chocolate. Mm-hmm. And if it does, it's not a well made mole mm-hmm. in most yeah, cases. That's, that's I just I want to throw that out there for every for everyone listening. Oh yeah, before that we we're get like, you know, we're sitting yeah we're sitting here talking. About mole, and I don't want people to be like, oh, they don't know mole. It's their chocolate. No, we, it's, we, we were know. mixing our, our worst foods together in one we dish. We know. Yes, <laughs> we know. But Joe is a, is a taco-holic, which is something that I, I love about him. I, I remember he we did a uh, – well, he did this fun little pop-up uh, that I went to, and he's like – he likes Mexican food so much that he made like pasta nachos. Like and brother, he changed my world with these pasta nachos, and I was like, "This motherfucker throwing down pasta nachos up in this bitch," and it was so good. I was like, "All right, I I look fuck you." I was like, in the best way possible. You were back there working in the kitchen. I was looking. I was like, "Oh, you, you with your pasta nachos." It's fun to follow Joe on Instagram because every time he travels, he does like a nacho or like a a taco tour (laughs) wherever you go. 
I, I nachos are one thing. Like, yes, to, to your first statement, Mexican food, probably my favorite. Like as much as I like cooking pasta and cooking Italian food, eating probably Mexican food. I can eat Mexican food multiple times a day, multiple days in a row. I couldn't do that with pasta. I don't think. Um, but yes, taco crawls, nacho crawls. Some of my favorite things I have this, there are a few foods. I'm curious. I would love to hear your answers or if this is just a crazy chef thing. If are there things that if you see it on a menu, no matter where you are, who you're with, you're just going to place an order for one. So you could try it. It, it doesn't even count. Cause you know, in your head, you're like, Oh, I'm going to get one, two. I want this, this, yes. this, but you see that thing and you're like, okay. And I'm getting that, but I'm not even counting it. Cause I just need to get it. I have mine, but uh, Megan. But you go ahead because I'm. It's been so long, really, so since I can <laughs> I've usually tell. And, and me, it's like a litmus test for the restaurant, as well as being something that I that I love Are to eat. Are you gonna say octopus? Yeah, grilled saying. octopus, uh, sous vide octopus, whatever octopus is on the menu as an appetizer. I always order it because I'm like, if you get this shit right, because so many people don't. It's a good litmus test. It, it really is. is. And, That's a good. It's a good litmus test. And I, I'm like, if you if you screwed up the octopus. The rest of the meal is going to probably have some things that fell through the cracks. Not going to say it's terrible, you know, because you can always make a mistake. Nobody's perfect. But usually the octopus, there's like a level of char if it's grilled. There's like there's certain little things of like crunch then tenderness that I want. There's just there's things. I want to feel like some old lady on the side of the road in Italy was beating it on a stone and then massaging and then, it, rubbing it on the exactly, rock. Even though I'm in Culver City, like I want to feel like that's what happened. What about you, Megan? Transported. I, I used to say bone marrow, but there's only so many ways you can have bone marrow, you know, to, to judge. Or, like, it's only so many ways they cook it. But that's every time I saw it on a menu, I'd dive right into it. I'd be like, yes, that first. Let's do that. But we've talked about this before, and I, I don't know anymore. It's been so long since I've – I usually – my biggest thing is going to chef menus. So when everything's already picked for you. Um, and it's going through like the whole process. Th- those are those are the things I'm used to and I love doing and I spend a lot of money doing it. But I can't think of something right now that like I, I my go to on a menu. I yeah, really if I if I see that octopus, it's it's got to go down. I don't ca- like I don't care if I ate octopus like seven days in a row. If for any reason I end up at a restaurant, there's octopus there. I got to try it. It's just. OK, good. Well, then it's not just me. I'm glad you hear there are other people out there that have that same uh, affliction. What is yours octopus, too? Or what's yours? No, no, no. Mine. Mine is nachos or chicken wings. That is OK. Chicken, chicken wings. wings. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I was trying to think. I'll fancy. get chicken wings anytime, no matter what, because I think that's a pretty good litmus oh, test. Yeah. If you can do chicken wings well, they're in like my like control for it. My gold standard is they need to be crunchy, but wet. Which is a very hard texture. Sorry. Uh, I won't. I won't. Yes, I could still consider them chicken wings, but they're not necessarily on my list. Like, okay, because I'm like, oh, they're boneless. They're kind of like just chicken nuggets. Like, but if it's a wing, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to like I want the wing drumsticks, you know, drumsticks or wing. Oh, drumsticks or flats. Uh, I don't know. Jury's still out on that one. I could go either way. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not biased. I think, and I know a lot of people are. I know. I think flats because of what you were talking about, because I think you can get them crispy. Crispier sometimes. You get drumsticks crispy, too. Yeah. yeah. I'm a fat kid. <laughs> With chicken, wings, chicken wings are good. Not just chicken wings are not just a good litmus test for the restaurant, but for the person you're dining with, because then you could judge them by how much meat they leave on the bone and how uh, comfortable they are with eating wings. 
Oh, that's what oh. I've been doing wrong this whole time. Yes. Thank you. Guys, on your Tinder dates, uh, yeah. order the wings on that first date, and you will know right away. Yeah, if, no more uh, wasting my time dating he these or losers. She is wor- Thank you. Look he at that she meat you left on the- Get the fuck out of here. Exactly. Actually, exactly. Do they go for the gristle? Oh. Do they leave that part on? Yeah. Like, there's so oh. much to be dissected. But I like a clean guy, too. I want to make sure it's not all over their face. But that's they- why well, they that's another weapons. way you could judge them. Yeah, yeah, you could judge them on how well they break the wing down, eat it, how much you know mess what? is it's, made, it's, how long it takes, how sloppy or noisy it is. There's so many things to break down. No you wonder are I'm a divorced. ninja, my friend. <laughs> oh, that is stupendous. Amazing. That is, cheers. Th- Thank yeah, you. cheers to you. you cheers just, to you. you Megan and I are going to cheers dating, on to dating some, via food. Dating via food. That's amazing. <laughs> um, dating via food. So we were talking a little bit earlier about about how you like to engage people online, and I want to encourage folks because. Joe, uh, Joe, I, I attended one of his virtual classes early on in the pandemic, and it was a ravioli class. And one thing that I think Joe does such a great job of, because pasta for most people, here's the thing with pasta. It's so inexpensive to buy dry pasta, and it is a bit of work for somebody to be encouraged to try to make fresh pasta. Joe and his classes does such a good job of kind of demystifying that and making it approachable so you feel like you can participate with him. Yes, he's a professional. Like, I'm not going to be able to shoot, you know, 11 free, free throws in a row like Michael Jordan does. But it, it, you, you still feel like you can hang with Joe when he's teaching one of these classes. And he does engage you in real time. And uh, obviously, you have your assistant, Bella, who I, I hate to call you your, assi- your assistant, but she does such a great job of helping that interaction because it is hard to do when you're when you have so many moving parts in a, in a live video. But I encourage people, go sign up for Joe's new le- newsletter. He'll send you out a, a list of ingredients. And then the cool part is I did Joe's class, I don't know, maybe 10 months ago or something like that. I still have access to that web link. So I can revisit that and make that pasta again. I know it's, it sounds like a commercial, but it really isn't, man. I had so much fun. And I've done my share of these virtual uh, classes and kind of having fun with that. And Joe's No Shit is the best one I've done. It was like the, the fun. Thank you, Eddie. For a, lot goes, a lot goes into them. And I think getting to what you're saying about how my, my style of teaching and it's like a philosophy that I have because it's not just for teaching virtually. Like I spent a long time running kitchens, um, in kitchens, people teaching me and then me teaching others. I think a great another test to see how well you know something is how well you can teach it to someone else. And my way of doing that is explaining the whys behind each thing you're doing and not just the hows. Because anybody can read a list of hows. It's in every cookbook. It's on every recipe on Google. It's how to do this, how to do that. But very few, if any, explain why you're using this flour, why you're using only eggs, why you're not using olive oil, why you're needing what's happening. And by understanding those whys and not just the hows, it becomes a much more thorough understanding. And it's actually like learning and absorbing that information for future repetition and not just something you're doing once that you're going to forget about by tomorrow. She's a teacher. Um, That's why I had to show it because she's a teacher. One of, yeah. So before I took this career, this weird Adam Carolla path that I've taken, um, before that, I was teaching middle school home economics. So I had a cooking class, an advanced cooking class, and a sewing class, and a personal development class. Now, mind you, I'm no pro. Um, but one of the things, and I think you'd get along with middle schoolers the best because one of the things they always ask you is why. And when you're not a pro and you're just trying to get them to do pancakes, 
Um, it, right. It, your first and do year. they really care why or are they just trying to be annoying? Um, they they actually do. And one of the things they do care about is because like their parents will do it different at home. My mom doesn't do it. Why are you doing it that way? And it's funny. I I feel like you should look into teaching like a middle school. Oh, I would love to break that down. There'd be so many good tidbits in that. Oh my gosh, it, it, it's it's a trip teaching kids, but especially middle schoolers when you can meld their minds a little bit more than you can with high schoolers or elementary school kids. I mean, we had chef knife classes. We had I, you can't imagine having thirty two middle schoolers all with chef knives trying to tuck their fingers, and it, it's it's a nightmare, but it's hilarious. You should look into that. But one of the things I was going to ask you about teaching if you were to teach a class of middle schoolers what would you teach them to cook I think we would have to go with pasta (laughs) I mean I think I think that's one that it's it's universal and like I would choose something that maybe wouldn't require a lot of kneading like we would do like a ricotta gnocchi or ricotta cavatelli something that's like because of all the cheese there's lots of fat so it's more tender dough it doesn't require as much kneading it doesn't really require as much resting Uh, it's much more forgiving in the amounts and the, the whole process. And so like uh, it, for me, the, I mean, even adults find it pretty amazing when we do these ricotta classes that you have this like bowl of cheese mm-hmm. that 30 minutes later, now all of a sudden it's pasta and that like transformation to see people's like brains, like unlock and they're like, Whoa, this is crazy. I can't believe I just had cheese. Now I have this. Like I, I guarantee and feel like middle schoolers would have that same sort of epiphany kind of reaction to see that transformation be responsible for that transformation. So I think that would be a really good one. That'd be they, a lot of fun. I think you killed, you nailed it with the word forgive, forgiveness. You have to have a lot of food. It's very forgiving. forgiving. You have to have forgiving food. But um, one of the things I was going to say, because I'm a huge Top Chef fan. I've seen every season, even, you know, the season before Padma, like all the way from the beginning. Um, my middle season school, one. That uh, was yes, the only one without that Padma. That was the one without Padma. Um, my middle schoolers, we would watch when I didn't feel like teaching, I was hungover. I would just pop so on. every day. <laughs> would pop on top chef. <laughs> they burned through those seasons so fast. Oh, they went through I got I ended up getting a complaint because there's too much bleeping. There's a lot of cussing in the, in the top chef. So I had to stop doing start doing Chop Junior eventually with those kids. But they were obsessed to the point where they wanted to do a final where we would bring parents in and they would have a restaurant wars themselves. Um, and they would get in groups of four and they would serve parents and teachers and then they would get raided and people would win. Um, one of the things on restaurant wars, I don't know if you saw the most recent season, but to make it more um, co- or adherent to COVID, they did an actual chef's table. Did you guys, did you see that? Most right. They, they did. I haven't watched the episode yet, but I know they did a taste like a tasting menu. So they yes. did a cohesive, what, like six course, eight course, something like that yes. menu versus a la carte service yes. where it's just constant dishes coming out, which me as a chef, I feel like that's so much easier. That's what I was going to ask have you. To do How do you feel menu. about this? <laughs> way easier as long I mean assuming and I think most of the chefs on that show maybe maybe not um have experience in fine dining cooking tasting menus and I think if you haven't done that it's a different style of service it's a different way you set up your station it's a different way you think about the tickets and the orders and the way that you cook but once you're kind of in that flow and that rhythm and you get used to it it's very hard hard to go back to a la carte style service where orders are just coming in in any number, oh any gosh. set of dishes, and there's no anticipation. Where with a tasting menu, you know exactly what is coming next 
and how many of those you need and what order you're making them because it's the same thing over and over. A la carte is never the same thing over and over. And so it's much harder, I think, to cook a la carte than it is to cook a tasting menu. So, I mean, I haven't watched that yet. I think I'm like two or three episodes behind on this season. I'm having a lot of fun watching it, but I was not like you. I had never seen the show until I went on it. Ah. And that was the first, (laughs) watching myself was the first time watching Top Chef. (laughs) So I, one, had no idea what to expect going on and competing. That was like a whole new thing for me. Interesting. And it's funny because a friend of mine that I told, you know, secretly, you're not supposed to tell anyone, secretly told that I was going on the show She's like, oh my God, I love it. I'm obsessed. Da, da, da. I have the whole DVD collection. Like, here you go. Say, here's all the DVDs. Go watch these before you go on the show. And I was like, great. I didn't have time. I was moving. <laughs> da, 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 da. Like the, the DVD sat there. And then finally, like a week before I'm supposed to leave, I was like, all right, I have a couple of hours. Like, let me see what the show's all about. I grabbed the DVDs. And guess what? Laptops don't have DVD holes anymore, anymore. and neither do... No one has DVD players. Not anymore. I had no way to watch Get them. yourself an Xbox. Uh, like, my laptop didn't have anywhere to put a CD in. <laughs> my TV had nowhere to put a CD in. I don't play video games. There's no PS2 or <laughs> Xbox or whatever the heck laying around. And so... I never watched it. I gave the DVDs back. I was like, and he's just did no good for me. We're just going to wing it. But it's funny that that's, yeah, that, that, that's always like a great, you know, because we, we say DVD and we're like, oh yeah, there's a time period where it's like, now do people even have those? Everything's streamed. I mean, like what is a DVD other than a collectible at this point? Well, it's funny. Like how do you draw inspiration for the content you create pasta wise? Cause for your layman, you look at pasta and you're like, okay, there's ravioli, there's lasagna, there's maybe like a dozen or two dozen for the even though you're you're even more experienced pasta person that that they'll they'll know maybe two dozen, but you know that's like a question for like a Jeopardy question. Name how many pastas you and people can maybe name half a dozen. You have shown me that there are so many cool varieties of even within each particular pasta that you can make. Like, what is your your strategy? What do you draw inspiration from to 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 always keep it fresh? Because it really feels fresh when I look at your your social media. It really does. Like, I shit you not, because we're on social media. You're like, oh fuck this again. Swipe, swipe, swipe. No, whenever Joe stuff comes on, it's always something that feels fresh and new. Well, but let the, to break down that question, because there are two yes. two answers there essentially. I just do like a lot of it is like, I'll do things, I'll make things, whatever I'm feeling, or maybe I'll be inspired by seeing something else. I'll have extra dough. I want to make this. I see an ingredient I like, or I haven't made a shape in a long time. I'm just like, I'll do it the way that then you consume it. And what you see is all very carefully and thoughtfully curated by Bella. And she (laughs) is totally responsible for how well and organized and cohesive and beautiful the Instagram is, she'll tell me what colors I need to make, what kind of shapes or photos I'll take and how the, at what order I need to edit them in and how it all needs to come together. She is the creative director, the creative mind behind all of it. And often she'll have the idea too for the dish that I'm making in a very kind of like muse, ethereal, like fairy way where, <laughs> I mean, even the other day I made, I made uni muffins, which is not pasta, but I make other things other than pasta. And what? so sea urchin you may, is uni. You maybe make bumbolini huh? also? I made, yep, Who exactly. I made, I made uni muffins and that was something she had been asking me to make for years. And like Eddie mentioned earlier, one of my cats, his name is uni. So ever since he was a kitten, very affectionately, we would call him, oh, uni muffin, like, come here. 
And that's his name. He responds to it. And she's like, you need to make a real uni muffin, like a savory little <laughs> cupcake sort of muffin. And finally, the other day I did it. I got my hands on some really nice sea urchin. I made the uni muffin. And so she is responsible and I could not be at or do what I'm doing without her mm. at my side. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's great to see a team of people that work so well together and can also be together and work well together, which is not always, which is not always the case. You, you guys are, are uh, a rare, a rare breed. <laughs> I'm cause every time, obviously people will follow your Instagram and they'll see this, like you just said, this really curated and well thought out, like what is the biggest fuck up that you have done that you just fucked it up and you're like, oh, shit. Okay, what am I going to do now? How am I going to make this work? The biggest... Well, you know what I did one time that, like, that I don't even... You're probably upset I even mentioned it. Oh, but it's fine. I once... I once cut a bagel straight up and down instead of across, <laughs> and because I I had made bagels, I, I was like I made bagels for myself. This was like early in quarantine, like this was probably like April last year, <laughs> and so I was I was like making things every day, and one of the days I, I like made bagels, and I was like okay cool, and I was like haha, wouldn't it be funny if I cut them this way instead of this way? And everybody knows what I'm talking about. Like you don't need a diagram. So. Yeah cut bagels the wrong way and there and i had it posted for like five minutes and she was like you cannot let people see that like and immediately had me take it down and it was funny because it's like at the time i didn't realize how significant bagels were to a lot of people oh yeah but it is just the same to me now it's like if someone posted one of those like beautiful twirled bundles of like spaghetti or tagliatelle like and then they come in with it with a fork and knife and just slice it in uh-huh. half and cut it into like little shreds. Mm-hmm. That I think is like the, the, my equivalent to what I did to the bagel. So I totally understand why it's unacceptable to cut the bagel the wrong direction. Uh-huh. And I mean, I didn't realize how much it can offend people. Like food can offend people. I, you, you've opened my oh, eyes, yeah. Mr. You know what? But if I was going to dunk a bagel, that was, that would be the way I cut it. Like, let's say I had a soup and a bagel next to it. And I'm like, you know, or chili that, the, not that it makes sense, but let's say, or if it's I, a bagel sandwich, whatever, let's just say I had, no, 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 I mean, this is not bagel sandwich. I'm talking like straight bagel, Christini's like thin slices, <laughs> <laughs> like, crackers like right. I guess, you know I like you like you would slice a loaf of bread yes yeah, i'm cringing already you need to stop it right yeah. now yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's that is you hit the danger zone with that yeah. actually yeah yeah because it's not really it's not a it's not a fuck up it's just a a poor choice of slicing you know it, it, right it's, it's, right you know. and i i learned and then I, I i tried to eat it i ate it it's like you know, and then you start, like, start to think about as you're eating it, you're like, is there a reason we cut it the other way? You know, she tried to break it. She's like, well, the texture, because you get a different texture and the uh. ratio of the crunch to the chew. And like, so, you know, there may be some argument to be made that there is a right and a wrong way to slice a bagel. Same thing like you wouldn't, you know, necessarily, maybe you would, you wouldn't make a sandwich by cutting two horizontal thin slices of bread that have no crust because you want the crust for structure. Maybe if you were cutting down on cholesterol and wanted just a tiny little piece of salami and cheese in the middle, maybe, you know. I have a new OnlyFans idea. Do it. It's going to be called Wrong Cut. I like it. Yeah, and just eat things, eat things the wrong way. Cut you know, ice cream cone from the eat. bottom. Yeah. Cut just turn it upside down with and the grain. Eat the cone first. <laughs> it's gonna be great. <laughs> Cutting with the grain. Yeah. Just, <laughs> it, 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 do, you, do you find yourself 
working more now than you worked when you were in a restaurant working? Because I always feel like Joe is always working, but obviously the results yield something differently than doing a nine to five in a restaurant. But do you feel you're working more now than you did when you worked in restaurants? I think, I mean, I think it's, it's in my nature as a as chefs and a, a chef to be addicted to the work that you're doing. And it's not maybe something that all chefs do, but a lot of chefs have this, I don't know if you want to call it a fault or this kind of driving passion to constantly be working at what you're doing. So when I was in the restaurant, I was there. I had no problem working 14 days in a row, 16 hours a day. Like there was nowhere else I wanted to be. I was working. I was committed. I was putting everything I had into the restaurant. And now that I'm not in the restaurant, I'm exactly the same way, just with a different type of work. So I am still seven days a week, you know, impossible to take a day off because your mind always wants to be doing something to further your brand, your business. You have so many different projects going. And I think any other entrepreneur like totally understands that. And it's almost like sometimes you have this thing in the back of your head where you're like, well, if I take a day off, there's someone out there that might not be. Yeah, And you don't want to fall behind in just that constant wanting to progress yourself. And so even though it is work, it's a different kind of work. You know, it's very nice how Bella and I are able to work together and support each other and always be working. And we found a way to still kind of turn work off at some point. So it's, we're not always kind of like working with each other, but you know, we met in a restaurant working together. We went from one to three restaurants. We worked together before. Now we have this brand that we work together. And so it's very much a thing that we've grown together and it is very hard to not always be working. And I don't know, I've never known any other way. I don't, yeah. I've never had like a, a nine to five, five days a week job. Like in high school, maybe I was a lifeguard and we only worked five days a week for eight hour shifts. Yeah. But like, other than that, it's like every other real job I've had has been nonstop, like commit yourself to it. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know any other, I, there's, that is the normal for me, which well, is, it comes I don't know, maybe in, someone in thinks way. it's weird, but. It comes, no, it, well, it comes off thing. in a good way. It's a good habit to have. Like I always tell people, you know, that I, I some, well, when I'm diehard and exercising, I'll get up at like 5.30 in the morning and I will start my day at 5.30 and I'm like, that is the time to get the day going, blah, blah, blah. And then people ask me, why do you get up at 5.30? I go, because in my mind, somebody might be getting up at 5.29 and I actually wake up at 5.27 because it'll drive me crazy thinking that somebody got up at 5.29 and is working harder than me. So it's, it's funny that you say that because we are a cut from the same cloth that way as far as as far as like work ethic and like motivation it's good to hear somebody say it because i don't yeah you just you want to you just want to keep doing things it's like there's always something to be done and it's like you know bell is very good at helping me find that balance because otherwise i'll be I'll, i'll just continue to do things on the computer i'll be editing things i'll be working on projects like whatever it is and she'll eventually all right we need you need to take men mental health as part of work too And physical health is part of work too. So like finding time to work out, finding time to meditate, finding time to relax and chill. That's like still part of work because you can't perform doing your other tasks unless you take the time to do those as well. So it's a, it's a full balance sort of, uh, you know, turning, turning and tuning those dials to make it all work. Agreed. I think that that makes a huge difference between people who complain about not being successful and people who are successful is the people that do it 
and they, they don't stop. Their mind doesn't turn off. My The people that I, you know, work with that say, like, I turn my phone off at, like, 5 p.m. on Friday, and then you won't hear from me the rest of the weekend. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> that's not how it goes. Which is totally fine if people want to be, like, are that way. Like, mm-hmm. I have nothing, like, there's nothing, no qualms against those people. Right. I've just never been that way. Mm-hmm. I've never known what that's like. I've never done it. I don't know. That's not to say like you could totally be do whatever you want. Like it's awesome if you're if you're able to do that and you know you take that time away and that's your way to reset and kind of do your mental health in that capacity. But for me, that's nothing I've ever ever done or experienced. But it's just a whole different world. I think us to too, think about right. Like yeah. I think both of us are on that. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, yeah. <laughs> always thinking, always wanting to do, always needing it, and always trying to evolve. Yeah, I think uh, if you were the same person you were a year ago, then there's something you're not doing uh, right as far as like changing. Always something. evolving. 100%. Bella always says that we're always evolving, making ourselves better. I love 100%. that. Hundred percent adjusting. Uh, you know, adjusting with the with the times. You're you're a taco holic. And you can only pick, I don't know if you're into chilaquiles or the breakfast burritos, but I'm going to throw this out there. Um, Anywhere in the world that you've been to, you can have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner of Mexican food. Where and what is it? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Can it be from different cities? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, dude, we, we, we beamed you. To one city to the other. And you know what? Uni, Uni could be there in a backpack. And then uh, Gnocchi could be in like one of those, what are they called? Bjorns on Bella. And you can you can be hanging out with the two cats. Great. They'll come with us? Yeah. Perfect. Oh, good Lord. Okay. So, bre- well, I'm taking a, a detour here. Breakfast would be at this dim sum spot in Vancouver. That was like right outside of the park. Oh, that, I mean, Vancouver, very, very well known for dim sum. But that's probably one of my top like meals. That, and I'm not a breakfast person. So that's like the first thing I think of when I think of breakfast is dim sum. I never have eggs. I never do the big breakfast. So that like go, go there, Vancouver. Then probably come down to LA. Uh, there's a spot in Tijuana. Let's go to Tijuana just so we're switching things up. There's a spot in Tijuana where we had like, I was with Claudette and Bella and we had these goat birria tacos like right on one of those street carts. And it's like crazy because this cart shows up at like 11 in the afternoon, right by the market, a giant, giant pile of meat over the whole side of the cart. And within like an hour, it's gone. The cart disappears wow. and you had no idea it was ever there. Wow. That's... And so just like in- <laughs> incredible. It's, it's there and it's gone. For the folks at home, um, what's, and what's then from there, What's Bidia? Well, I mean, for my lack of the, the proper definition, for me, it's usually beef or goat or some sort of meat stewed in chili and spices um, that's then shredded, put onto tacos. Doesn't have to be. I like it on tacos. Me too. Um, and then they often serve it with the consomme, mm-hmm. the, the, all the cooking liquid that you did. You have this crunchy taco. You dip into the uh, the consomme on the yes. side, consomme. and you get like you get to sip on it, and it's like it's, it's amazing. It's heavenly. It's so good. Amazing. Um, and then for dinner, we that was just breakfast, oh, yeah. lunch, right? I still get one more. So then we'll go to L.A. and we'll go to Tire Shop Taqueria, which you're both in L.A. Tell me you've been to Tire Shop Taqueria. Where, not. Wait, Tire Shop? Tire Shop Taqueria. I down here. South. Where is it? Where is it? It's south. Um, where are oh God? Where shop? are all the warehouses south of DTLA? Where are all those warehouses down there? That okay. little there's a. 
Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? Yes. Um, I can't think of the word for it, but I a little bit south of DCLA. I COVID brain, so it's eluding me right and now. And so, yes. exactly, so do I. And so, I mean, historically, taquerias and these, like, would pop up in old mechanic shops and tire shops because those places would only be open during the day. But then they would still have a space, a parking lot, and hungry people. And so they would start making tacos at night. One of those tire shops to keep tradition alive um, is, and you could Yelp it now at this point. They definitely have a Yelp. They're on Google Maps. But they started as like, you know, people throw up some lights. They got a grill. And they have the most amazing tacos I've ever had. I think they do carne asada. They do chorizo. um, Maybe they do chicken. But they got a huge grill cooked over charcoal and they have two women making fresh tortillas on a griddle, pressing them out with the masa. And it's just like an unreal experience. And for me, the chorizo is really the highlight because let me tell you why. When you go get chorizo tacos and most other places, the chorizo has been cooked and chopped up and kind of griddled and stewed down. And it's sometimes separated from the Mm -hmm. fat and it's like sitting in a pool of its grease, which is like, you know, fine. But this the chorizo is grilled in casings. They take the chorizo right off the grill and they have these huge wooden slabs as cutting boards with like a big dent in the center from all the meat they chop. They put the chorizo in the center, huge cleavers, chop it all up to order, scoop it right into your taco, slap the salsa, the, the onion, the cilantro right on top, fold it up in a little piece of parchment and hand it right to you. Yes. And life Yes. Like it is a transformative experience. Amazing. Let me tell you, tire shop taqueria. I there's mean. always a line. You can smell it from blocks away. Oh. Like I'm not exaggerating. That feels like, and you just you have to go. And I, it's it's incredible. That feels like like uh, it's funny because you, even before I told you to go there, you go there. And it feels like tire shop taqueria is my is is your sandwich Miami for me. Uh, mm. it's, it's like this, it's a, uh, the play, Joe was just there last week. Anyways, it's just a place in Miami that does a really cool spin on traditional Cuban sandwiches. Even though w- what you're saying is, is more traditional, I guess, as for, as for the tacos, they just make it the best. But I almost feel like we have these little places in, in towns that are like your secret spot. And yeah, it's just so li- like, it's a, it's magical. It's a, it's transformative. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do is like, if you know me, I'm not a big drinker. And often when people come visit in cities, you're like, hey, take me out to the bars. How do we go see different bars? And it's like, I don't do that. When friends come in town, we don't do bar crawls. We don't go out drinking. We're like, okay, we're going to get in the car. Sunsets. We have five or six different taco, taquerias, little taco stands yeah. that pop up on the side of the road when the sun goes down. Then we just go around until we can't eat anymore. And like, we'll go to the first one, get one or two tacos, go to the next one, get one or two tacos. Maybe we'll stop somewhere and smoke some weed. Then we'll go to the next one get some more tacos and it's just that's one of my favorite things to do is a taco crawl yeah. and la i think you can't get any better talk for taco well, crawls do, in do la you feel the same way as i do because when i i travel to like my hometown uh obviously you know, I, I travel i travel back to miami and in miami there's maybe seven mexican people in all of miami and you'll go to like a taco spot and they'll be charging like seven dollars for an alpas store and it'll be fucking me- less than mediocre uh, you know, it, it, do you feel the same way that I do where we're so used to paying a great price 
for phenomenal tacos. And I mean, I like uh, uh, the Al Pastor at Leonardo's Tacos down on like Ve- on like Venice and and I think it's Venice and La Brea. It's in a gas station. And they're like a dollar fifty a taco. And then when you see some place that's mediocre that's charging an arm and a leg for a taco, like how do you feel about? It? Will you still eat there, or will you be like? And I'm not talking about like a duck confit taco. I'm not talking about like a lobster taco or some fancier shit. You know, when when somebody's serving like armpit taco and they're charging five dollars. Well, look here. Here's the deal. First of all, for the record, I know the Leo Leo taco truck you're talking about on Venice and La Brea. Yeah. So overrated. I'm just going to go on record and say that. Whoa. I like there it, but it's $1.50. So, Whoa. And I usually am not so 100% sober when I'm there. He's you know been what so it is? kosher it's this whole well time. Known. He took a stance. I love it's it. It's well known. People, It's well known, and it's very Instagrammable. They have these huge trompos with the shaving the meat off of them, but there are so many better trompos out there. Enlighten than, me, please. I mean, Tacos 1986 is better. There are like a lot of small ones that pop up all over the place. I have a pop up in um, Van Nuys that has Al Pastor that they shave right off, and it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, I'm dying to go to Marisco's. And I mean, Jalisco. it could be fantastic. Marisco's Jalisco, but they don't have the trompo. But Marisco's Jalisco is one of the best uh, Jalisco style tacos. Yeah, That's very very good fish tacos. Um, and then uh, going back to your question, not to go off course, I just had to set the record straight. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, the expensive taco. I have no problem with it if it lives up to the hype. If they're using like, you know, flour maybe imported from Oaxaca or they're using masa that is like freshly ground and nixtamalized in-house and they're just like killing it. They're using white oak charcoal or something to grill the meat over. Then heck yeah, charge me $12 for a taco. I don't care. Like that's the cost of doing business. Right but on. if you're just going to charge me $12 and it's going to be a mediocre taco, then like get out of here. Well, like no way. Like I, Miami. It's like Obama. Came well, to it's eat funny you say that. I was in, so we're charging one of the last things I had in Miami. I went to hometown barbecue. Oh, okay. um, Bill Journey spot who his original location is in Red Hook, but he has now a Miami location. And so I had to swing by and get it for the, I knew I was had a layover in Atlanta. So I, I picked up a big thing of tacos or a big thing of barbecue, but I saw there was a chicken taco on the menu and it was like a $12 chicken taco. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'll try one. I was like, I didn't get other chicken. I was like, that's very bold to, to do that. And it wasn't until I got to the airport and I saw it. I kid you not. It was, it was a $12 taco. It was, it was like football. the size of my head. It was a flat, it was the fresh flour tortilla tortilla. I mean, had you known any better, it could have been a burrito that wasn't wrapped up. Oh, you know, okay. it was it was thick. And, <laughs> you know, fr- a grill or smoked chicken in there. Um, there was like a cilantro crema, all the good stuff. It was loaded with meat. It was good quality. It was well done. And I had no second thoughts or concerns about having to just pay $12 for a taco because it was awesome. And I would happily go back and order another one. Okay. Good. 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 Yeah. Do it. You know, let's do it. I'm inspired by Joe because, man, I I, I was going to eat pasta, but now I'm going to go eat tacos. Well, it, it's funny because people always ask me, like, dude, how the fuck do you stay thin uh, with blah, 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 all you eat? And I'm like, if you looked at my social media and that was all I ate, I would look like a Somali pirate because I post like once a, you know, every X amount of days and it's one meal. So if that's all I ate, then, you know, there's there's stuff in between. And Joe's an inspiration because, man, he 
you know, pasta is not a non-fattening food if you eat too much of it. And and Joe's like, no. It's a lot of carbs. It's a lot of carbohydrates. And it's and, – and it's, but you <laughs> know, name of my new company. But one thing <laughs> that a I, lot of carbs. <laughs> I like about pasta is so many times food things that are, that are quote-unquote um, – I don't know, refined, let's say, tend to be expensive. You know, you've got your, your yeah, you know, A5, A5YU beef. You've got your lobster. Your, but pasta is flour, water. It's just, it's, it's three ingredients that, yes, they're expensive versions of them, but you can start in a very inexpensive way and get to learn how they work together. Like, do you like tap water? Do you, because all those things make a difference, I would assume. What, what is your go-to uh, for for water before we let you go because I I'm a water pasta person and I know the water to me makes such a huge difference. What is, what do you what you know when it? I'm when I'm doing pasta I almost always use tap water um, only because there's only one type of pasta dough that I make that uses water and the other ones are all egg based and okay. so obviously like water I don't think that much about obviously yeah it makes a difference I do care about the water I use in like bread and pizza dough. Like that, I'll use like special purified water or like a more uh, consistent source of water. But for the the dough, what matters to me more is the wheat there so than the water. Um, just because of there's, said, I, I find you get more flavor nuances out of wheat, wheat than mm-hmm. what wheat, wheat flour. What about the water in your spray um, bottle to I, hydrate your, you know, your your. So dough. that that's just regular. That's just tap water. That's tap just water. water. I mean, because that's not adding like necessarily flavor. That's just kind of helping. Moisture management. Whenever you're making pasta, the all you're ever doing, you're managing moisture. It's like, you know, some people say when you're a chef, all you're doing is supervising. You're not really cooking. When you're making pasta, all you're really doing is managing moisture. Like, that's the name of the game. And so the water spritz atomizer um, is the best tool for that. And for the record, the tool that everybody should have, because I always get asked, what is the pasta tool everyone needs? It's a water spray bottle. From the dollar store, I would think, because you could just yeah, that's yeah. all. I mean, or the dollar store, Amazon, the internet, whatever. They're like two dollars, like. But that is the most valuable pasta tool I think you can have. Who has a tougher job, a pasta chef in Aspen or a pasta chef in Palm Springs? Aspen for two reasons: it's drier, and so your dough is going to dry out more quickly. And the altitude for cooking, mm-hmm. boiling water, um, all of those things change at high altitude. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. we know that you care about the wheat, and we know they care about the weed. We've learned so much about you, Joe Sasto. I'm yeah. so honored to talk to you. Thank you so much, Eddie. Oh, thank oh, you so much. Yes. I, I, uh, I'm such a huge fan, so thank you. And my middle schoolers will be shocked when I text them and say, guess who I talk to. <laughs> yeah, Joe. Yeah, I, uh, so good. I'm, I'm, uh, honestly, I'm so excited to have you here, and uh, I'm so excited the boss lady uh, allowed us to make this happen. And uh, I, I end every episode uh, by telling, and this is from the heart, that the only thing we don't get back in life is time. And I want to thank you sincerely so much, Joe, for spending a little bit of your time here with Megan and I. And I want to thank the folks at home for spending some time with us here on Kill the Bottle. Uh, where can we find you, Joe Sasto? I know where to find you, but where can the folks at home find you? You can find me primarily on Instagram at chef.joe.sasto. Or on my website, josasto.com. It's that easy. I'm there. And I I am all over social media. I love interacting with people. That is the point of social media. So if you ever come across 
uh, recipe or something that I did and want to leave a comment or have a question, don't be shy. I love getting to know each and every one of you. That's right. And uh, join one of Joe's uh, virtual cooking classes because then he'll let you into the inner circle and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you follow one of his classes. He he has a special way of responding and connecting with the folks in his inner circle. Uh, so, folks, check out check out the bottle. Uh, check out the bottle. Listen to me. Uh, <laughs> check out this bottle of tequila. No, uh, please like, comment, follow, subscribe. Uh, go to Megan's OnlyFans. Uh, <laughs> pay her to get angry at you. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, that's that. Thanks again. See you next week. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Jeff.